Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. Envío al área, al remate. Ahí está el primer tanto del partido. No lo celebra, por supuesto. Aaron Ramsey, 0 a 1 para el Arsenal. This is Arscast Extra. Hello there, welcome to another Arscast Extra. As always, with James from Gunnerblog. Good morning to you. Good morning. Uh, apologies to everyone if this sounds a little bit different or weird, but. Um, it is different and weird because I'm sitting in a hotel room in London trying to record this on my laptop and the stuff we normally use didn't work. So, uh, <laughs> And also I'm sitting on a chair which when I move on it sounds like farting. So if you oh, hear- right. I heard that earlier and I thought you had farted, I must no, confess. No, I haven't, I haven't farted and I'm not going mm. to fart. But if you do hear farting noises during this podcast, it is the leather chair. Hang on, I think I can make it do it. Hang on. See? Amazing control of your sphincter muscles there. <laughs> On command. Indeed, indeed. Um, so um, so why, why are you in London, Andrew? Why, James, indeed. Uh, I'm going to the SFSF Awards. That's much more difficult to say than it should be, uh, which are taking place tonight because I've been nominated for Best Blogger. So I'm going to go to that. And uh, I'm going to tap up Sergio Aguero while I'm there. Good, good. Because he's, nice. he's up for best player, so uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna have a word, bring him on board, get him in and see what you can do. Yeah, yeah. Well, we need we need we need more strikers. That's exactly what we need. Yeah, exactly. So that's why I'm here. So uh, it should be a good night. Hopefully, yeah, it'll be very fun. Hopefully, yeah, it sounds lovely. Yes. So, um, without further ado, shall we talk about West Brom? Yes, let's. Let's. What did you think? Uh, that's oh, a very simple I mean, question. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was delighted to, to win another match, two in a week. I imagine. Know. You could get used to it very quickly, couldn't you? Well, I could, yeah. And, well, we've got another two next week, so mm. let's let's hope it continues. I thought um, positive signs. I was surprised by the starting lineup. I have to say, when that came out. I didn't expect to see Welbeck and Giroud in, in the team together. Uh, but heartened certainly to see Lauren Koscielny back. I just think that's a massive, massive boost. It made such a difference, didn't it? Because I think you could see there was immediately a solidity at the back that hasn't been there. Mertesacker looked about 50 times more comfortable than he does um, mm. alongside Monreal. And that's not to, to be critical of Monreal, but I think that's the reality of the situation. He just looks happier when he's got Koscielny alongside him. Yeah, I think so. I think all the back four... Uh, played well, to be honest. I thought Callum Chambers had a very good game on the defensive side. Yeah, Look, looked pretty solid in at right back, um, and Emmy Martinez as well. I think deserves credit. I think since he's coming to the team, he's he's really impressed me. I remember the player who played at Reading 
you know, a couple of years ago and conceded five, I think it was. And he looks transformed. I mean, obviously that loan spell at Sheffield Wednesday worked wonders for him. And uh, I have to say, I feel pretty sort of eerily comfortable when he's between the sticks. Yeah, he seems a very calm young man, doesn't he? Because even when Vito Manone had some good games for us, you always felt that there was this jitteriness to him in the way that he played and that doesn't seem to be there with Martinez he's like stone cold and he's only played five games for us yeah well someone said that you know in some ways he's a bit of an antithesis to, to voice at Chesney and that he's not he's not obviously brimming with personality you know he's uh, quite a quiet guy it seems quite sort of calm as you say but the goalkeeping res- Aaron Ramsey maybe <laughs> perhaps and in some respects in that position you know uh, that's quite nice not to have that sort of uh, heart in mouth moment all too often I've been I've been really impressed with him I think he's done really well all right, so look, it was interesting then, if we go back up the other end of the pitch, that he played Giroud, Welbeck and Alexis, mm. um, which is, a, a, I guess, a dynamic front three uh, in, in terms of the two that are outside Giroud, who's, gonna, who's always going to be that focal point in the attack. You know, let's not pretend he could play wide right or left. He, he just can't do that. Mm. Um, and I don't think either of them look particularly uncomfortable um, operating off him and I think in the first half in particular we saw some very good signs in that he was able to uh, bring others into play in around the box that he uh, something he does on a fairly regular basis and um, we created some opportunities from that and he did seem to link well at times with Welbeck in particular yeah I love all that one touch stuff that Giroud offers you you know uh, on the edge of the box those quick little interchanges passes I think there was one really nice one that set up a chance for Santi Cazorla yeah. uh, on the edge of the box and that is really encouraging I, as I say I was surprised to see it I think it's quite um, it was it was more attacking than I necessarily expected but I suppose what what Sanchez and Welbeck give you in those wide off areas is that they will work back, won't they? They will cover mm. their fullback when necessary. And there aren't many strikers you could say that of. Um, perhaps not, you know, not even in our squad. So uh, I think it was encouraging. I'd, I'll be intrigued to see what happens come Wednesday in Southampton if it's something that he feels he can persist with in, in the longer term. What do you think? I think it's something he's obviously been looking forward to because I think he likes Giroud. Um, Maybe more than some fans like him, but I think mm. he likes what he brings to the team in terms of, in terms of his play in around the box and how he brings others into play. Um, and, and he does give you a different dimension to the attack that uh, Alexis and, and Welbeck. Alexis is very much an individualist. Welbeck, uh, I think, has got a great team ethic and, and perhaps could be a bit more selfish at times. But um, I think it worked to be honest. Um, and I think if you're going to look for encouraging signs, then uh, the fact that we didn't um, we didn't suffer because of it was good. I thought maybe at times we got a little bit narrow because you have Giroud centre, Alexis comes inside to get involved, Welbeck came inside from the left as well, uh, and it did get a bit narrow, and we know that's been something of a failing of ours um, down the years. But mm. look, you know, I think it's it's too early to make any definitive judgment, but based on what we saw against West Brom, I wouldn't have any problem trying it again. No, I mean, is there any argument that you don't get the best of Alexis Sanchez when he's starting out in those wide positions? He had a quieter game. Do yeah. you think that's to do with that? Or do you think it's just an inevitability that he won't perform unbelievably in every single match? I think it's probably the second thing. And I think also we have to look at the amount of work that he's done over the, the last three, four months uh, in terms of what he's brought to the team. Uh, I won't say he's necessarily carried the team, mm. but he's he's shouldered the responsibility 
for the most part, hasn't he? Welbeck has chipped in with some goals, um, but for the most part, it's been Alexis, and he's been the one driving the team forward and, and scoring goals. And I think he's uh, he's going to have some quiet days, and he's going to be a bit tired and a bit jaded at times. And I think that, that there was evidence of that against West Brom on on Saturday. But what was good from that point of view then was that when he didn't perform, that we did have other players who stepped up and took some of the responsibility and ultimately uh, were decisive. If you look at Welbeck's goal, Santi Cazorla as well, playing in the number 10 role, was absolutely brilliant in the first half in particular. Yeah, I think his forms had a real upturn. He he was struggling, it seemed to me, a few weeks ago. And I think there were question marks over his place in the team. But injuries to you know Mesut Ozil and Jack Wilshere have opened up the possibility for him to play as that number 10. And he, he seems to be relishing it, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, he does. And it was a brilliant, uh, brilliant assist for the goal. I mean, there was, a, there was a moment, was it in the first half or could have been in the second half as well, where there was a similar kind of a move. And so, I can't remember who crossed the ball. It could have been Gibbs. And Cazorla was the one trying to get on the end of the head. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. And of course, you know, he doesn't necessarily have the, the height for it. It was the, it would have been the perfect height, for example, if Welbeck had been the guy coming in to get on that. But Cazorla just it skidded over his head. But I thought the, the assist was fantastic because he showed uh, skill, strength, pace, uh, and the delivery into, into the middle was fantastic. And Welbeck's finish, I thought, was, was really, really excellent. Yeah, I love I love a powerful header like that. You know, yeah. I think I think it's because we were starved of them for some years at Arsenal. Maybe we appreciate them all the more. Yeah, uh, when they do come around. I think did I see you retweet or someone retweeted? I think that's the fourth headed goal we've scored this season, which yeah. is uh, unusual for us. Certainly. Yeah. Well, you know, Alexis has got a couple, hasn't he? Um, yeah. Uh, his was a his was a thumper, but yeah, I mean that is something that we we have been missing, um, particularly with G- with Giroud out. He's he's good in the air. He scored some fantastic headers for us, uh, and it does give your attack another dimension. Um, and ultimately, that was that was a difference between three points and one point on Saturday. Yeah, and good for him to score well back. I think he'd gone six games without goal, so probably good for his confidence to get to get back on the score sheet. Yeah, absolutely. I think he I think he needed that. Uh, in terms it, of the. Um, we talked about the shape of the team and the way they set up, but did you feel that they approached the game strategically any differently? It, it seemed to me like there was sort of more of a willingness to let, especially in the first half, let West Brom have the ball and, and try and hit them on the counter-attack with our speed. Yeah, I think one of the things that struck me was uh, it was the forwards doing the, the pressing, um, not the midfielders getting ahead of themselves in a way mm. and, and one of the things that stood out for me was Matthew Flamini who um, I guess has had some critics because the level of his performances haven't been uh, top class this season I think that's fair to say but he was really disciplined and what 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 really stood out was the fact that he completed 96% of his passes mm. um, I, I think it's probably an underrated part of his game his distribution but that was I, I think exactly what we needed in a game like that away from home that we talk about Arteta giving us that 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 uh, bit of uh, what's the word I'm looking for confidence or, or surety on the ball that we don't give it away in dangerous positions and and uh, and that was the case with Flamini and I think there was an inbuilt cautiousness I think that some of the some of the stuff that we learned from the Dortmund game was obviously present that we weren't going to get ourselves caught out on the break and that was uh, particularly true when they put uh, three attackers on, they, they threw on an Ichibi, they had Barahino on, they had Samaras on um, and we weren't going to get we weren't going to get caught out uh, and I think it was 
the defensive display was really good. A lot of backs to the wall defending, winning lots of headers, making lots of clearances. And I think there was obviously a safety first approach that you could you could see, particularly from the fullbacks. Um, Chambers and Gibbs, there was one moment where Gibbs um, was running back to, to chase a ball. And there, normally you would see him try and look for a man or play it up the line, but he just whacked it straight out. Yeah, uh, and Chambers did much the same as well. A lot of his clearances were industrial, straight into Rosette at times. Uh, there was one moment where I thought he he might just see the ball out for a goal kick, but he wasn't taking any chances. He just smashed the ball uh, out for a throw in as far as he could. So I think that was probably uh, part of the instruction. Mm. So. Yeah, it seemed to be, and I thought there were more encouraging signs. Uh, Later on, we had some set pieces. It was notable that as against Dortmund, I don't think Per Mertesacker was was going up for those by that point. Mm. So there just was that little bit of caution in our approach, which enabled us to see it through. And another clean sheet, which is a a real bonus. Mm, Confidence, a little boost. I think you've got to take them when you can get them. Yeah. So look, the other other issue of that game was uh, was the banner unfurled at the end mm, mm, um, Banner, Bannergate Bannergate everything's a gate these days I know terrible they should have a gate about gates yeah <laughs> gate gate it's inevitable it has to happen uh, your thoughts right well I don't really know I mean look I, I I kind of feel that it's unpleasant it's not it's uncomfortable to see I, I didn't like watching Arsene Wenger's post-match press conference when he's being asked about that banner and whatever he may say you can see that it's painful for him obviously it is it's a club he's dedicated so much of his life to and to see however much of a minority it was sort of obviously displaying their discontent with him is always going to be a difficult situation however I I do respect the rights of fans to say whatever they may think whether or not it's what I would do I kind of think you're entitled to have your say I didn't think it was full of invective or abuse. It wasn't calling him names. It wasn't, you know, calling him a fraud or whatever it might be. It just was signalling what many people think, which is that maybe uh, his time with Arsenal is approaching a close. So I can't condemn it too harshly, but it's, 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 it doesn't change the fact that it's quite uncomfortable to see. Do you know sure. what I mean? Sure. What yeah. do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think you're, you're right in a way that there, people have every right to express their opinion. Um, and that if you pay your money and you go as a fan, then, you know, you've got you've got that right to, to, to say what you want. I don't know. I just thought maybe at the end of a game where we'd won 1-0 and the players are coming over and thanking the fans, and that, that maybe the timing of that isn't necessarily right. But then you have to ask, when is a good time? Well, if this you, is if it. you want I mean, to make that point, when is a good time? Do you do it outside the ground before a game um, where it will be pretty much ignored? Or, yeah. you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I think um, I, I think the reaction to it... Um, well, I posted a picture of it on Twitter and there was a lot of negative reaction to the banner itself. Um, people were just saying, look, it's not the time, it's not the place. Um but if you do feel that way, then when is the time and the place to, to yeah. get that point across? Um, I, I just think maybe it's it 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 feeds into the, the maybe there's a simplistic idea of it's time for the manager to go without enough talk or discussion about what happens if that happens. You know what I mean? Yeah, of course. I mean it's uh, it's highlighting a problem without proposing a solution. Yeah. Um, 
I agree with you on the timing. I think if you did it before the game, you know, you'd be accused of kind of distracting from the match. If you did it, I think it's unthinkable to do it during a game yeah. when, when you know, you need to be behind the team and behind the manager and doing all you can to offer them support. So in some ways, I can see why uh, after the match, you know, is, is the solution that they, that they arrived upon. And I also think that timing is crucial in that if this had come seven days previously... I don't think it would have received quite as negative a reaction. I think that two wins has obviously changed, you know, the Wengerometer has, has swung slightly. <laughs> and uh, in some ways, in some ways, I sort of think if, if you believe that and, uh, you know, two wins isn't enough to change your mind, you know, I think there are bigger things at play. But um, should you then wait for another bad result before you do it or, you know, I don't know. I mean, would that just be jumping on... Do you know what I mean? Would that just be yeah. jumping on the, the zeitgeist or what have you? I don't know. I, in some ways, I sort of think if you've got conviction about what you think, then then one or two results... I mean, obviously, ten results, that might give you a cause to change, but mm-hmm. one or two, not necessarily, yeah. against two struggling teams. But, um, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a really difficult one. And I think that the, prob- the biggest problem with it is that, obviously, the media pick up on it and it becomes a symbol of what Arsenal fans feel and I think people then feel like the banner is speaking for the, all of them and that's where it becomes most awkward because obviously that's not a view that all fans share yeah yeah so I don't know what do you do do you just respect you have to respect people's right or of uh, to to make their point I don't know it is a difficult one because you know the timing after a game after a win after two wins in a week like you say that's not going to convince everybody um that it's uh that all the problems have been solved because clearly that's not the case not all the problems have been solved so i don't know i think you're right i think in a way that the fact that it gets picked up in the media it becomes more than it actually is in a way yeah ultimately how many people are holding up that banner you know four six i don't know but it's a fraction, isn't it? It's a yeah. tiny, tiny minority. Now, actually, I, I do think that that banner does represent the views of more than six people. Um, if, sure. If, if you look at the online discourse, it's clear that there are a lot of people who think that. Whether or not they would choose to express that at a match in the way that happened uh, is another question entirely. Mm. But I think, you know, I, I was looking at some of the banners they've held up at Newcastle, where obviously they're very and with some cause dissatisfied with the manager there and you see the invective and the the abuse and i have to say in defense of the banner i felt it was it was it was uncomfortable but not unreasonable that's basically my uh, my point of view on it yeah and look you know the uh, the world we live in where perhaps the manager uh, and the people at the club ha- are are quite insulated to a certain extent because things can be dismissed if it's just online. For example, it can be dismissed as well. That's just people ranting online. Uh, but when it becomes real and at a match, I don't know. Maybe it just makes them uh, more aware of of the uh, of the opinion of fans, whether or not they care. That that is the other question. I, I think that's what drives people to it. Like we've seen a lot of crazy things in the past year, you know, the, the trend of hiring planes, but I think it's because fans probably do increasingly feel that, you know, they, they don't have a huge voice and that clubs aren't listening to them. So I think things like this will become increasingly common as that, as that distance grows. Mm. And I think social media, it is screaming into a void, really, in terms of the club actually listening. I, you know, I don't yeah. think they give it any credit. So I think, you know, wanting the club to take notice of 
of your views is is fine and I th- and to be honest I think they will much more with it having taken place at a match day mm. and look you know it's really not the end of the world if a, if a, if a banner goes up I don't think so you know may, you're right it is uncomfortable and it wasn't great looking at Arsene Wenger having to face that question because what what can he say uh, you know to to a room full of, full of journalists about it um, because I think it must have been very uh, hurtful and painful for him uh, to realize that it's got to a point where um, fans are making the uh, making banners and bringing them to games away from home uh, but it's not it's not the end of the world and if we uh, if we win games and if results improve we won't see those um, we won't see those kind of protests so maybe if it sparks things into life a bit bit more work bit more uh, investment in the team who knows maybe who knows? maybe it might um you know ultimately be uh, there, there could be a positive quality sleep is essential that's why the sleep number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature sleep number smart beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Expect to it as well, so. Yeah, force for good, perhaps. Perhaps, perhaps. All right, look, we're going to take a short break. We're back with part two and your questions after this. Hello, welcome back to the Askcast Extra. We're going to have a look at some of your questions now. Um, starting off with this one from Steve Moore, 4116. Steve Moore there. And he asks... Steve uh, Moore. Yeah, the, the man, Stevie Moore. He says, was the Alexis Giroud-Welbeck axis a necessary one-off or something you'd like to see more of? Yeah, I, I wouldn't mind seeing more of it. I think under the circumstances, it was a necessary kind of selection because uh, I think probably he rested Oxlade-Chamberlain. There was a bit of, I don't want to say concern about that, but I think... Maybe there could have been a fear that, uh, you know, he's fatigued or carrying a little bit of a knock. We don't know that. And it's, mm. hard, to, it's hard to think that he would just drop him, uh, considering he's been one of our best players. So I'd, I'd like to think that there was probably something a bit cautious behind his, his, uh, his resting, shall we say, uh, against West Brom. But, yeah, I think, I think it could work quite well, to be perfectly honest. Um, I think there's three different skill sets there. Um, we touched on it earlier on. I like what Giroud gives us as a central option. I like what Welbeck can do uh, from the left. He didn't seem particularly perturbed by it. And, you know, he started on the left and he got his first goal in six games. So let's not 
um, pretend that that's going to stop him scoring. It's about us taking our chances. And uh, look, I think we are at some point going to have to look at, at Alexis and try and keep him in the best shape possible. Um, we're we're going to have to rest him a little bit too. So we need to have um, options and we need to look at look at ways that we can do that. And maybe one of the ways that you could do that is uh, bringing Theo Walcott back in in place of Alexis, for example, when uh, when he's fully fit, uh, and for a game that you feel that you can you can do without your best player, um, because it's wrong to expect him to keep up that intensity throughout the season. So look, you know, I think if we can find variations in our forward play that might suit particular opponents uh, more than than others, um, you know, the manager might look at playing that that trio against a certain type of team. Uh, and a different combination against other teams. So, you know, I'm all for it. A little bit of experimentation is good, and I think it worked all right. Yeah, one thing I really liked was, I mean, I know that a slight issue with it was that we seemed a little bit narrow at times, but I also really liked how many men it enabled us to get in the penalty area, Yeah, um, which I think is something we've lacked a little bit in recent seasons. And there were times where the ball would be wide and we would have at least two, sometimes three men in the box. And I think it, it did improve our threat. I know we only got the one goal, but if you look about how that came about, it was a you know from a header from a cross, and we nearly had another one with Cazorla. And I think with a bit more understanding between those players, there's definitely goals in that combination for sure. Um, and the other thing I just wonder is 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 Arsenal kind of doing some of the groundwork for Theo Walcott's return? You know, there's been a lot of debate about how you get him and Alexis Sanchez in the same team, and it seems to me that, that a system like this with two wide forwards playing off Olivier Giroud or even Danny Welbeck potentially is what would suit Theo enormously so I think uh, you know over the next month or so we might persist with this this formation which I think I think would be a good thing I certainly prefer it to the kind of the 4-1-4-1 that we were seeing in the in the early part of the season. Yeah okay well on that then here's a question from Manny at Mansu Surotics. Okay. And um, he says, do you think Santi Cazorla suits our system in the number 10 position better than Mesut Ozil? And I think obviously uh, the way we played on, on Saturday meant that we had a, a number 10, if you like, um, and Cazorla really enjoyed himself in there. Well, I mean, you mentioned earlier that it looked like we were kind of sitting the, the <coughs> defence and the, the most of the midfield a little deeper so Ramsey and Flamini in this case and then allowing players to press from the front and I certainly think Cazorla offers you more than Ozil in that regard uh, he works quite hard defensively harrying people off the ball and uh, in terms of going forward I thought he joined up the play extremely well he played there for most of his first season with us didn't he Cazorla yeah. and was player of the season by distance he was outstanding in that year and Although he's played well on the left since, I don't think he's ever quite recaptured that form. He got shifted in the kind of the, the reshuffling of the team uh, when we moved to a more defensive style when Koscielny came in and, and that base of Rams in Arteta, I think. But uh, yeah, is he more suited than Ozil? I don't know. I'm going to be fascinated to see how, how Ozil fits back in in January when he returns because obviously last time we saw him, he was playing predominantly on the flanks. But we're now talking about people like... Welbeck, Sanchez, Walcott in those positions. So I think we'll, we'll see him coming back into the centre. Um, but he'll, he'll have a fight in his hand with Santi Cazorla. I think if Cazorla keeps playing as he is, you know, Ozil will have to perform pretty well to, to reclaim his place. What, what about you? What do you reckon? 
my my thoughts are that um sorry somebody keeps trying to ring me here on Skype that's weird um my <laughs> thoughts are that this particular system would suit Ozil really well uh, yeah. maybe he's been a bit unfortunate in that um you know we've we've had this uh, 4141 or or we haven't been able to tie down this particular uh, system while he's been fit so um, yeah, I think it'll suit him a lot better, to be perfectly honest. Cazorla uh, is also capable of playing wide as well. I think, you know, if need be, we could put him in one of those um, in one of those wide positions to the left. This fucking cunt keeps calling me. I don't know who the hell it is. Um, so I've lost my train of thought, but I tend to agree with you that he's got a fight on his hands. But if we keep this shape, if we keep this system, then I think the 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 very obvious choice in the long term for the number 10 role is Ozil. Yeah, I think so as well. And if you think about our best form of last season, that's where he was playing and he was playing well, in, certainly in the first half of the of the campaign. So I think that's where he'll come back in. Yeah. Um, let's have another question on the midfield. This is from Ty Hamilton. And he asks, all things considered, so remember to consider all, all things. All of them. All the things. Okay. Is a CM now a priority over a CB in January? All things considered. Remember, all the things. Okay, just if there's silence here on considering all those things, because there are a lot of things to consider. Yeah. Um, Because if you have Debushi back, then your need for a centre-back isn't quite as pronounced pronounced as it was nevertheless you're still in the same position where an injury to Debushi or an injury to one of your center backs um leaves you in the shit so i think and i've i've maintained this since the start of the season that we needed another center half and i still think we need another center half more than we need another central midfield player to be perfectly honest let's just talk about this though because last time i spoke to you we still had Mikel Arteta and, and Jack Wilshire available for selection. Do we need a central midfielder in addition? Depends how long Arteta's out. Yeah. Um, and maybe if we're talking again about bringing Theo Walcott back into the team, um, we've got we've got to find somewhere for Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain to play. And Arsene Wenger has always spoken about him as a central midfield player. He said that that's where his position is going to be in the long term. After making some good steps forward and some good progress this season, maybe that is the solution. Mm. Maybe that's what you've got to do um, rather than than buying another central midfield player and all of a sudden Arteta's fit again, Wilshire's fit again. You know, who do you get? Do you get a, a, a Shellstrom? Another BMX bandit? I mean, what, what do you do? Um, I hear he's playing really well, by the way. Some Swedish fans tweeted me the other day. He's playing out of his skin in Russia. So, right. pick up the phone. Yeah, well, no, I, I would still go with a centre-half over a, over a central midfielder. I think, it's a, I think it's a delicate one, because I think... Are we talking a, 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 a normal central midfielder here, or a DM? I think we're talking... In my head, we're talking a, a DM, yeah. Yeah, but you, you said CM. Oh. There is a very subtle difference there, and I considered all the things. Oh, uh, well done. But I didn't consider there was an alphabetical issue with this question. Uh, well, Ty Hamilton's he's pulled the wool over my eyes there. I, I think that 
look, we, we, we do need a centre-back and I don't think I would dispute that um, at all. We desperately do. But I wonder if uh, the type of defender we need and the type of midfielder we need are potentially different in that if Arsene Wenger really does believe that Callum Chambers is, you know, a, a superb centre-half in the making, then I feel like we need... In holding midfield, we might require a starting player, whereas in central defence, we might require a backup player. Right. Uh, and so I sort of think if you gave me, if you gave me thirty million pounds, I'd put twenty million a bit into the midfield and ten into the defence. That's sort of sort of how I weight it in terms of priority. Right. If you gave me thirty million pounds, I'd be fucking gone and living on an island somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's the difference between you and I. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. All right. Well, I, yeah, I, I see the need for for an improvement in that holding midfield position. What I don't see is the manager a finding that player in January mm. and B doing anything about it in January anyway because he'll look at Arteta and he'll look at Flamini whatever people might think about them and whether they think they're good enough it's it's really about what Arsene Wenger might do and I don't see him doing it uh, in, in January whereas I do see him buying a centre half because it, the need is just so pressing I think you're right in terms of that I think that's what will happen yeah mm. um Cool, let's have a, another question. Okay, this one comes from Hollow Man. Uh, he wow. Is at Javed Moshin AFC. Uh, I don't know if he's actually hollow. Because There's a would, film, isn't there? Hollow Man. It, it could well be. That's, Kevin Bacon, I believe, is entirely hollow. Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm serious. He's like, he's not actually hollow, he's invisible. Because as far as I'm aware, he's not hollow because he, you know, you can't like put your hand through him. You yeah. just can see through him. But that's not hollow. Hollow is having nothing inside you. So he would the, just have, like, his skin. But what would be holding his skin onto his... He, he'd just be like a sort of Russian doll. Yeah, I, that that's a badly named film. It's terrible. The physics of it are all over the place. I'll and, be fair, I haven't seen Hollow Man, so I'm judging from a trailer. I my, my, my suspicion is that it's probably not very good. No. And that's nothing to do with Kevin Bacon. Really. <laughs> All right, here's his question. He says, if it's, confer- if it's confirmed by Arsene today that both Gibbs and Monreal are out, who would you choose to play at left-back, uh, presumably for the Southampton game? I had this question as well. It's a tricky one, isn't it? Mm. Well, I thought I'd had a genius solution um, in the shape of Francis Cochrane because I saw him play left-back against Southampton in the League Cup and I made him our best player that night. I yeah, he was he'd... good, yeah. Really, really good in that position. Um, but... You tell me he has extended his loan with Charlton. Is that correct? Yes, Charlton will get to uh, to play with our cock until December thirty first. Well, there you go. Um, difficult one, then, isn't it? I mean, so there is the option of Flamini, who played left back in that famous Champions League run uh-huh. many, many, many years ago now. Um, but that leaves you with a problem in central midfield, potentially. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's the nuclear solution of Flamini to left back, Bellerin to right back, Chambers to midfield, which we, you know is a, an option that we haven't ever seen but has been talked about. Mm-hmm. Chamberlain potentially in central midfield as well, but I feel like you need Flamini in there at the moment just for the defensive cover that he theoretically offers. Uh, so I think it'll be, I, I think it'll be somebody like Bellerin. Um, put in at left back we've seen Arsene Wenger put right backs across to left back before Bakary Sanya played there 
uh, even Carl Jenkinson played there on one occasion. Um, you, you could put Bellerin at right back and move Chambers, but that's two shifts in the back four, and I think Arsenal want to keep it to a minimum. So I think we might see Hector Bellerin at, at, at left back. Uh, that would probably be my my call. What about you? I think it'll probably be Chambers because I think he looks at Chambers as a very versatile player mm. um, who would be more able to cope with playing at left back than Bellerin maybe would be able to cope playing at left back. The Bellerin is still so inexperienced that he's reluctant even to use him at right back, as we've seen. True. So I think he, if he had to play Bellerin, he'd play Bellerin in his more natural position, and I think he pushed Chambers across to left back. But let's hope that. It doesn't come to that. Yeah, let's hope. I mean, I think there's, they look both look like fairly minor knocks. Kieran Gibbs finished the game. Um, I mean, touch wood. I mean, this is Arsenal we're talking about. But I think they, they should be all right. One thing worth noting, though, if we do have to play a right-footed player at left-back is that Southampton tend to play with uh, Tadic on the right wing, who's actually left-footed and always coming inside. So having a right-footed player over there might not be the disadvantage that it immediately looks. Oh, good thinking. That's mm. some good awareness right there. Yeah, there you go. All right. So somebody watched Southampton play yesterday. All right. Um, okay, this comes from Pete Coe. Uh, and he asks, is there any chance Wojciech Szczesny could be made to earn his place back rather than just be allowed to return when fit? I don't think so. I think he comes straight back in as soon as he's fit because uh, as much as I've been impressed by Martinez... Uh, I think Chesney is the number one goalkeeper at the club. I think he's the best goalkeeper at the club. Uh, his form obviously has been a little bit suspect this season, but I think that has as much to do with the defensive issues that the team have had overall. Um, he looks a little bit less assured, a little bit less calm, but then why wouldn't he when everything in front of him is shambolic? You know, I think he's, he's tried to make up for things in a way that perhaps he shouldn't have a little bit um, coming out of his area at times and uh, but I don't think he's been particularly bad this season I think we we forget very quickly that he was the, the best goalkeeper in the Premier League last season he, he shared the golden the golden fist with Peter Cech um, and I think if, if you put him in behind a, a team that's more defensively stable behind a back four that's more stable then he'll be better and I think he, he's the best goalkeeper but I, I don't think it's any harm for him to know that Martinez has come in and done really well and earned some plaudits and Ospina will be back soon and hopefully that will put pressure on him um, in a good way. And I think what we've seen in the past is that Chesney responds well to pressure uh, for his place. Uh, when he did have that little bit of a, uh, a sit-down with, with Fabianski taking mm. his place, he responded very well uh, and had his best season following that. So, no, I think he comes back in, but I've been impressed by Martinez um but for me, Chesney comes back. Yeah, for me too. I mean, I think, you know, Martinez has done well, but it's important not to get carried away with that. And I, I think hopefully it will have served the purpose of, of Chesney, uh, you know, picking up his alertness and his sharpness anyway, because he'll have seen how well Martinez has done. If he's any kind of sportsman, any kind of competitor, that should spark a bit of a, a surge in his performance. And as I say, I think he's been a bit unfortunate this year, Chesney. I think he, uh, he had a good season last year and he's still the man for the number one shirt for me. Yeah. All right. Uh, we're going to have one final question uh, because I'm pressed for time today. Okay. Um, because I'm, I'm here in London. Uh, so the question is from West, West the Gooner. Ah. And uh, West, the E has got an umlaut over it. I don't know if that works. But he wants to know, 
Do you put warm or cold milk on Weetabix? This, I saw this question, Andrew, and I suspected you might ask me this. So don't worry, I've, I've done my thinking. <laughs> uh, I actually do something quite bizarre where I put cold milk on my Weetabix, I mush it into a kind of porridge, and then I heat it up as one entity. What, what kind of a monster are you? I know. <laughs> what madness is this? But I, I can tell you, it's it's a delicious outcome. Would it not be easier to mush it if you just put the hot milk on it or warm milk on it in the first place? It's not the same because when it when it when you put it in with the milk into to heat, it kind of congeals in a different way. Something to do with I don't know the evaporation. It, I'm not a chemist, but I do know I've created something magical. Right. What about yourself? I would be a warm milk person for sure. Yeah. Um, I never quite understood the. The cold milk on Weetabix or even shredded wheat. And definitely not shreddies. Anyone who puts cold milk on shreddies is, is uh, yeah. Are you warm milk on all cereals then? No, 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 no. Just the kind of... Wheatier ones. Wheatier ones, yeah. I mean, you wouldn't put warm milk on Cocoa Pops, for example. No, that'd be heresy. That would be just abysmal. So, no, I'd be a warm milk on Weetabix guy. Um, but I, I, I would imagine the last time I ate Weetabix was about... 1985. <laughs> okay. I have had them since then. I mean, I'd say we'd probably be talking around the, the turn of the century for me. <laughs> but uh, the, the most recent one. But uh, yeah, they're still good. I mean, uh, you know, props to them. To each their own. Hey. That's what you got to do. All right, we're going to leave it there for this week. Thank you for listening. We're back with, uh, with another Arsecast Extra next Monday. There'll be the Arsecast on Friday. Uh, James, as always, thank you very much. Cheers, good luck tonight at the awards. Thank you. being a little extra can be a bit much but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra and united healthcare makes it easy with health protector guard fixed indemnity insurance plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company they supplement your primary plan helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods so when it comes to covering your medical bills you can feel good about being a little extra visit uh1.com to find the health protector guard plan for you